Welcome, welcome. This is Necessary Conversations. I am Trent. And I am Audrey. Welcome back. Welcome back. We have a lot slated for today. We're kind of experimenting a little bit with the layout. Um, And so we're going to talk about a couple of things. The first thing for all of you people who are into astrology is we're going to dive a little bit into my birth chart. And if you haven't done one of those before, I would suggest that you give it a try. I think it's very um, important for all of us to sort of be stewards and sort of dive into ourselves in an introspective way learn about ourselves later on we're going to be talking about uh social media and about how some corporations and entities are learning about you so it's best that you learn about yourself in the meantime so you kind (laughs) of have at least an idea of the information that they're collecting on you um and so then we're going to talk about some things that i have found interesting in the news many of you have probably also heard about these stories and we're just going to cover a few and hopefully we can try to remain a bit neutral on a few of those uh recent Hopefully. events yeah. <laughs> I, i'll be honest i'm gonna have to keep up with tonight's agenda yeah so i'm excited i'm yeah. excited i think we should just you know try to see how we can branch out all right so first like i said we're gonna dive a little bit into our birth chart or at least one aspect of it but before we get into that i know in the past you and i have had conversations where we talked about um like our our, our our charts according to the stars as well as particular attributes that we may have and whatnot Mm -hmm. and me even sharing some weird past life uh experiences that i've had up until this point and so i don't know if you remember but do you remember me telling you about uh the past life experience i had where i saw myself like being uh in egypt or in east africa and during one of the ancient periods uh yes vaguely okay so for the listeners out there who or the one two or three of you who may be listening I had this experience uh, once where I sort of was having a a, a tantrum, even though I was an adult, I was having a tantrum. And so I called myself like challenging God and he told me to go lay down and go to sleep. And I had this really, really like strange mystical experience. And I went through like this portal that looks something like what you would see uh, in Thor. That's like the only place I've ever seen it where he like um, travels with his, what is it? Not just the hammer, but the, um, I can't remember what it's called, but the thing that the, the guy uses where he sticks his sword down into it and it opens up a portal it was Uh like that so you travel through this dark portal with all these these uh colors or whatever and then on the ground you know how there's like this marking that's left on the ground like this spherical Uh marking or circular marking and it has all these signs and symbols i like to think that that is what like your birth chart is if you look at a birth chart it's literally like that it's a depiction of the stars at the time that you traveled here to earth um in the flesh and so when I had that experience where I left, it was almost like I went backwards through through that that portal. And then God, what I believe was God, who I met at the time, but that's a different part of that experience or dream that I had. In one part, I was shown myself in past lives and I knew that I was seeing myself in a past life. And in one of them, I was too hot to try it. I was, I was hot stuff. I was hot, hot shit. I was very attractive and I was walking through this castle-like place. And I remember looking around with the consciousness that I had and thinking like, one, it looked so advanced. I could not believe that someone had built that for the period. And I knew it was like in a different, more ancient time. But when I looked around, it was like, wow, this looks pretty freaking modern. There was an open courtyard and I was like on the second story, second or third story. And I was walking, I could feel the cold stone underneath my feet. And I looked around and everything looked well lit. And I was like, did they have electricity back then? Or are they doing this all with fire? Like what is going on? But 
I could tell by the way that I was shimmying like that, that took my attention away from my surroundings and, and like targeted back towards myself. So I was looking at my, my feet and I'm like, okay, this body, I'm thin. I, I didn't, I felt like I was more like compact, a little closer to maybe five, six or so. And I remember looking at my feet and my legs and thinking, it looks like my skin is covered in gold. Like this shimmery, almost like some Fenty bronze are just covered Probably my entire body. Purity. No, it was something that they used to make your skin look like gold. Like and my skin looked like gold. And I was wearing almost like a sarong and I was feeling myself like mm -hmm. internally when I was checking in, I was feeling like I'm above everybody else. I know I'm fly. I know I'm sexy or whatever. I know the strange to say, but then I was trying to orient myself and get as much information out of that snippet that I knew I was going to be in that conscious form to like figure out as much as I could about my life. So I knew I wasn't necessarily royalty or like in the royal family, but I was like adjacent. I want to say I was like a side piece or a concubine to whoever the Pharaoh was. Oh, and wow. I was, and I knew like I was tr almost trying to siphon off as much energy as I could. And I knew that there was like a distinction between their compounds or like their castles or whatever, that there was a, like an upper or middle and then there was like a lower kingdom uh, like a um, compound maybe like a celebrity or current royals would have like two totally different areas and i was not at the first one i was at the second one or like the lower kingdom maybe it was like the the tip or i felt like it was a, egypt the country like i was an egyptian mm -hmm. but i was maybe like in the northern part of ethiopia like there was a second portion where i was spending time or like in the in a separate compound and I knew I wasn't in the immediate circle, but I was close enough that I felt like untouchable. And so I go into this room and I feel like there I encountered a female and a man and that they stabbed me or poisoned me or both. And I couldn't recall, but I remember feeling like this sense of I was untouchable and yet I was touched. And I knew that like I wanted the ruler or the pharaoh or someone to protect me and then in that moment i realized that oh like I, I didn't mean as much as i thought and i'm about to, like i'm dying so in addition to almost like being poisoned i re i recall like being murdered essentially oh, wow and so the second part it was like a different consciousness i was um dying i was lying on my back and there was like a nurse and at that time i must have been like and it, it was another ancient period where they had hospitals, but this hospital was not like our modern conception of a hospital. I was laying on the ground and you could feel the the slab, the slab underneath you or whatever it was. And it was almost like it was an open, open air sort of situation, or maybe you're covered by a tent and there were women who were laying on the floor and each were like in their own state of possibly like dying. They were very sick. Some of them were older. And I was with a young girl and she, I don't know if she was a nurse or it didn't feel like a family member, but I wasn't surrounded by family. And as I was coming to the end of my life, I was thinking back over life choices and over my family. And at that that period in my that consciousness, I had an understanding that I had been a mother, but I didn't take care of my, my children. Like I wasn't a, a good parent. I didn't really care for them or look out for them. And that was why I surmised I was there, not with them. As, like they didn't come to see me when I was dying. And the young woman was very, very gracious. And she, it was almost like when she was looking at me and I was sitting with her, I could feel her energy, feel her spirit and how kind she was. And I knew that I didn't, I didn't live in a way that necessarily deserved someone coming to my bedside at the end of my life. Mm -hmm. 
And so as I was unable to speak and I'm on my last, you know, breaths, I began to like fear what was coming afterwards. And she gave me permission to go and kind of told me, you know, and held my hand. And I remember being so appreciative of the fact that she was there knowing that she didn't have to be. And I, and after she told me that it was okay, it was kind of like, I had this agreement like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm willing. And I felt my, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like she was almost giving me permission not to feel guilty or whatever. And so I, took my last couple breaths and then I sort of like exhaled and felt my energy lift up from the body. And mind you, before that, it didn't really feel the way I thought it would feel when you're, you're going to die. Like I expected for there to be this fade out. And it almost felt like I had to agree to let go in order to actually be released. Like I was so anxious and contemplative about, okay, am I dying or am I really not knowing that I was my my body wasn't physically able to sustain itself, but it was almost like as long as I kept fighting, I was going to stay here. You would linger. Yeah. I, would, I would linger here. And so it, it took that in order to release the energy. And so in this, in this lifetime, <laughs> bringing it back to the present, mm-hmm. we've had conversations about me. And what's one thing that you would say about me as a child? Like you said, you, you said you would tell me frequently you never had to worry about me in one particular aspect because you knew I wouldn't give in to what? peer pressure exactly okay so that's gonna play a distinct role in this person's review of my north node which is like your karmic energy what you karmically have to deal with in this particular lifetime something i've also told you was that i feel like my hang up in this life is figuring out how to cultivate love loving relationships how to connect to people and it's so difficult for me because that's the default it's it's hard not only is it something that i think comes with the family that i was raised in i think it's also a attribute of mine in addition to having difficulty like establishing loving connections and relationships my personality type in and of itself kind of lends itself more towards being a dreamer i'm an infp by my, the myers briggs standard so i i sort of lean towards that and then you have that piscean dreamer sort of energy in my ascendant sign and then you have the philosophical explorative find out the meaning of life in my sun sign which is a Sagittarius and then in my moon sign uh, you have cancer which is the person who wants to establish a home life and they feel more most comfortable emotionally um, at home Mm -hmm. so one of the last major things that I feel like I struggle with in this this life is not really understanding how people view me how they um what's the word that i'm looking for how they qualify me how they what 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 comes across to people i can read other people but it's difficult for me to um understand how i'm coming across if that makes sense yes and i'm very um i would say introspective so i'm gonna play this clip for you and you tell me what you think after everyone has digested what i've said and see if it gives you any new revelations. I'll put the link to that video somewhere so you can watch it. All right, North Node and Aquarius, let's do this. Let's start by looking at your South Node in Leo. So where are you coming from? First thing to be aware of North Node in Aquarius is that in a past life, you were recognized for all the special talents and hobbies you possessed. 
you were made to feel special amazing in fact you were the kings and the queens the entertainers the performers the stars some of you might have even been royalty like literally i mean literally a king or a queen or from a royal family of some sort you were possibly a chief a dictator or the head of the household basically you were the vip so accustomed to getting your own way wherever you stood you were applauded it's as if what you touched turned to gold as if many people just fell at your feet basically you were provided with much attention from other people all whilst you soaked up every last drop of admiration and applause and it was this receiving of admiration and applause which formed you a great big thick layer of ego which now keeps you from feeling equal with others because guess what you have come into this incarnation still feeling special in fact in a past life your ego just might have gotten out of control which led you to becoming arrogant and much too self-important and boastful and possibly even smug and snobbish towards the common folk oh look at all the peasants look at all the peasants darling i'm way up here you know i'm way up here oh they're way down there and so you left your past life with this gigantic ego and into this one as you seem to expect the same treatment in this life something unfortunate might even happen to you in this life resulting in you responding with to me to me it's all happening what i can't believe it's all happening to me this is because you just you just cannot believe that you are deserving of anything bad or challenging happening to you but one of the lessons you are here to learn north node in aquarius is that life it happens to everyone not just you and i know that your past life of feeling privileged causes you to become outraged when you are treated just like everyone else in this life but these behaviors are not going to make you feel happy or fulfilled in this life you tend to be far too demanding and take it as a personal attack if others don't do as you wish or come to your beck and call and because you have so much emotional energy you might just completely disregard other people without even realizing it oh yes north node and aquarius you are an expert when it comes to expressing your identity as a way to obtain the results that you want but what you must realize in this life is that you are here to share your power of will with others it's about now consciously and deliberately focusing on the people that you interact with and encouraging them to get in touch with their own needs pumping them up you know pumping other people up to manifest their own dreams indeed north node in aquarius your destiny is to come down from that isolated throne that you sit on and re-establish yourself as part of the collective okay we'll stop there now her interpretation was pretty harsh and 
yeah, it feels like a smack to the face. But there are some <laughs> jewels there. And particularly when you go and sort of look at other people's interpretations of the North Node and Aquarius. But the takeaway for me was the focus on humanity, the focus on the larger collective, um, helping elevate consciousness which is the purpose of what we're doing here why we're sitting here even to have these conversations the conversations that normally we would take that would take place without an audience um i can agree with that but however i i don't she's saying that's what you need to do so having known you for your entire life i'm I'm not sure that um that would be a large shift so the right. the portion that I didn't necessarily um, agree with um, is that um, is is the large ego th- that f- causes you to feel entitled to special treatment. Now, you know, I'm not gonna challenge the you know the fact that what you may or may not know about yourself. Right. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't agree with that. I think that you have always been concerned with the greater good, even if it meant standing alone. That's true. That's definitely true. I think it was illuminating to me for a different reason. Um, your grandmother, my great grandmother, you said you used to have a saying about um, ego and you said that she would she would pronounce it in a strange way but humble she would say humble or humble is the way Uh humble or humble is Uh the way and when i was younger when i was going through my teenage period like right before i went off to college uh we were together one day and this when you had a a a green chevy malibu that she drove until literally (laughs) the wheels fell off my (laughs) and then it was handed off to my brother and he took the the rest of the remaining life that was in it when when you talk about somebody who could go through a vehicle who could <laughs> who could drive it until there's nothing left to give right. anymore, I put every mile on it. I think, but maybe four. Absolutely. <laughs> so right. we were we were together one day, and it was through one of my "woe is me, the world is so you know horrible and terrible" stages, mm-hmm. and we went into um, this African hair braiding place on on the west side, and. You have been Uh-oh, talking will to I me. Remember this, but go ahead, maybe go not. On. You were talking. You have been talking to me the entire like ride over there about humility, and you were saying that you didn't think that I was a, a humble person, and I was like, "Oh my God, ow!" And then, ironically, when we went in, there was a, a older African American gentleman, probably a little bit older than you, he was middle aged, and one of the things that he said when we were checking out was that um, that I was a humble young man Mm -hmm. like and you you said to him no i don't think that he is Mm -hmm. and we got into a discussion about it at that moment but But how knowing myself how would i have preferenced that if i was telling you the story of my grandmother there was a separate time you brought that up at a separate occasion this was this was before you had the the revelation i think that revelation came a little bit later you said she had been coming to you and it was an expression that you couldn't remember at the time but when she had said it to you it brought back memories for you like her spirit was coming to you and saying mm-hmm. humble is the way probably mm-hmm. as it pertained to you mm-hmm. and what you were going through at that particular time i'm no, saying i think i think me sharing that with you had more to do with reminding me of what i was like in my youth Right. And understanding that, of course, there there are going to be, while you are your own person, yeah. there are things in you that are a mirror for me. 
okay yeah, yeah. i can receive that mm-hmm. but we got into that huge discussion and then later um later on i would say after i finished college we had had um some challenges in our immediate family things later came out um but i didn't know it at the time but my father and i have always had a bit of a contentious relationship for various reasons there's substance abuse as a component to it there's me being a mirror for him in some respects as it pertains to different things he's always been pretty critical for his own reasons but we had had a a disagreement and at the time you know i was imagine many of you have probably been uh, just finishing college without an opportunity long story short I ended up in a, a, sh- a homeless shelter for a day. We we ended up reconciling at the end of the day. But at the end of the, while going through that experience, I remember one of the um, representatives of the workers there, she was just like, you don't belong here. And this is something I've heard people say a number of times. She mentioned that she could see like the, the God essentially in me, the light. She was saying, this is not going to be your your experience. If you're here, it's only going to be for a short time. You don't need to worry. Muster your internal strength and we'll, you know, you'll, you're going to get through this this experience. But at the end of the day, when, when we had reconciled and um, my parents came to retrieve me, uh, she asked me what the lesson was. She said, what is what is the lesson here? What were you supposed to learn today? And I gave some obscure response and she said no that's not the lesson and she wrote it down on a notebook that I had had a piece of paper and she turned it around and handed it to me and she said this is the lesson and it was the word humility and so I remember being mystified like humility humility like what what is the the point to this when I say that I struggle sometimes to understand how people perceive me, how they receive me. I think the humility factors in in that, in the sense that there are some experiences, no matter what we go through as a human race, that are collective. Even though there are differences in our experiences, like some people may know what it's like to lose a parent. Some people may know what it's like to lose a child. Some people know what it's like to struggle with substance abuse. There's still a common thread. There's still something that we can um, cultivate to understand that 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 other person is not not any different than us there are differences but you know they're still human beings and there are some things that are universal in the human experience and i think because i it may take a different lesson it may take a different experience rather to learn the same lesson right Mm -hmm. and so i do think that that holds a great deal of validity for me in the sense that i didn't understand quite why it it has been so hard for me to connect with people. And I do, I've had a very real understanding that that is a thread that still existed. I just didn't understand the origins of it, like feeling disconnected sometimes or, or resolving to um, shields, mask, being withdrawn from people when I'm feeling insecure or, you know, to, mm-hmm. to protect myself. But that's that same energy just twisted in a different fashion I think that I've carried probably beyond this life or beyond this experience something that I'm having to grapple with and love loving people being transparent it's I know that that's a common theme for many people that they struggle Mm -hmm. with but it definitely is one for me like to imagine that 
establishing a loving relationship, whether it's intimate or otherwise, establishing a, a loving, nurturing bond and pouring into that with different family members is a struggle. Not because like I'm a haughty person, but because I, I don't know. It's like you walk through the world feeling a sense of nakedness or feeling unprotected and you almost just feel more safe alone. I was going to say it's safer. Yeah. I think it has to do with um, it's safer not to risk being vulnerable. Right. Regardless of whether it's your family or a stranger that you decide to get in relationship with. Yeah. I think that's just the simple yeah, we'll truth say. of it. That's an aha moment for me. That's an aha. I didn't think about that. That's what it is. Amen. Hallelujah. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Anyways, that comes up in some other interpretations of uh, the North Node and Aquarius. Um, And also, you know, the South Node. Those those relationships are pretty important. And it's one of the most important aspects of your chart, but it's not the entire thing. So if you have any interest in learning about yourself in a new light, if you've already done like the Myers-Briggs inventories and all those other different inventories to tell you, you know, what you may already know about yourself or you're just looking for a bit of objectivity, I would suggest you guys go out and try it for yourself. There's always some some knowledge and some learning out there, learning new things every day and so on and so forth. And these existential things uh, will come into play in a number of different areas. So I, you, what's the old saying? The more you know, the more you know, whatever that is. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> the more you know. Hey. Okay, so moving along, the next the thing we're you know the the some someone will let us know. Yeah, somebody will let us yeah. know. Or the vaster universe will become. Who knows? I I don't know. Anyways. Okay, so we're going to be talking about some things that have been in the news lately. And that's a bit of a trepidation already coming to the fore for me. Right. me the news well. is not a safe place for many <laughs> of us. No. Not for our emotional and our, our no. physical it health. It hasn't been for me for a while, but I digress. Absolutely. So the court uh, in Louisville has released grand jury recordings in the Breonna Taylor case. And so I'm sure many of you have not been sleeping under a rock and you know who Breonna Taylor is and who George Floyd is. I would hope so. If not, it's time to uh, reconcile with with those particular cases. Um, Well, just to give you a brief overview. And the many others. And the many others. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there are a few others that are going to come up today uh, when we talk about these other articles in the news. Fortunately, she's not the only one. And we we know that to be true. Um, But nevertheless, Breonna Taylor was an EMT uh, in in Louisville, Kentucky, and she was at her residence with her significant other. They were drifting in and out of consciousness, falling asleep, watching a movie. Um, And there were knocks at the door. They were afraid, according to uh, her significant other, who's still here. He was saying that they assumed that it was uh, possibly an intruder, possibly her ex. They didn't really know someone was banging on the door. They kept yelling, who is it? Mm -hmm. And got no response. And then from there, I guess they got out of the bed and were standing in the hallway, possibly afraid to go to the door. He had retrieved a firearm, which he legally had the right to possess and particularly in their own home, and saw a battering ram go through the door. Now, I'm not sure at that time whether or not they, it didn't compute for them that it was police, but nevertheless, they were saying, or he has said that they... I would expect that to be a uh, hard shift. Right. Yeah. So he was saying that they thought it was an intruder. He fired a shot at the ground, and the police that were there opened fire and uh, shot uh, what I assume was approximately 20 rounds, 
and uh, maybe four or five of those ended up in Mrs. Taylor's body. Mm-hmm. Taking her life. Taking her life. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been a bit of discrepancy about uh, one of the officers, I believe his name is Mattingly, a, a detective with that police force who was shot in the thigh. And he's been stated as saying that he said that her boyfriend hit him in the thigh or hit his femoral. Um, ballistics reports have been inconclusive as to whether that bullet came from the boyfriend's gun. I wish I could say I was surprised. Yeah. I'll say that I have suspicions that it was possibly friendly fire in the melee, but they, the prosecutors have alleged that there was no um, possibility that it could have been fired from one of the other officers weapons however they still haven't been able to attribute it to his boyfriend's it's inconclusive Mm, exactly and those were fbi ballistics reports so it will be interesting to know well nevertheless um the attorney general daniel cameron gave an explanation to the media uh, in a press conference after charges for uh, wanton endangerment were levied against one of the patrol officers um, and no homicide charges were were uh, issued or levied against anyone he pivoted and punted that uh, outcome to the grand jury stating that the grand jury made the determination that there was no cause for there to be homicide charges well subsequently a juror filed a motion in court um, requesting that the proceedings be made public because the attorney general had mischaracterized the nature of those outcomes and as i stated to you in conversation i felt like there were no charges for homicide uh, brought forth to the grand jury that was mm-hmm. my suspicion before the grand jury okay so there was a bit of back and forth about what had actually taken place of course that that jurors motion in court raised some some eyebrows and some red flags about what had been presented the attorney general cameron stated that he had given a, a full uh, i forgot how what exact words he used but he basically made it seem as though all of the um charges have been presented homicide as well and that the jury came to its own conclusion as to the outcome saying that they felt like it was lawful for those officers to have opened fire in her home so there was a bit of back and forth and the judge decided to give the attorney general a deadline today a noon deadline for today to provide a redacted version of the recordings um, taking out personally identifying information uh, social security numbers etc um, oh, recording. I didn't realize. Yeah, the recordings. Recording. So that only removed three minutes and 50 seconds of material, according to the to the filing. Uh, the recording is now posted online in 14 different audio files, and it includes uh, at least two interviews with detectives Miles Cosgrove, whose gun in FBI forensics labs identified as the weapon that fired the bullet that killed Taylor in March. Uh, a state forensics lab uh, differed in its view, saying that it found the evidence to be inconclusive. So uh, the detective gave his uh, account of entering the apartment, which differed from the other um, detective that was present. One saying that, um, let's see. He said that the police knocked on the door for as long as two and a half minutes before the decision was made to force the door open. As they continued to knock, one of Taylor's neighbors emerged and began to shout at the officers. This is not a quote, but I hear something like, leave that girl alone. There's a girl in there or something like that. Shortly after the interaction, 
he said that the command comes to breach the door. The audio gives a rare level of public access to more than two days of grand jury proceedings in a case that's a uh, few protests around the country. So, you know, there was a Is bit of back and forth. Is it appropriate for police to knock and not announce? For an, and that's that's kind of what's in question. Here they were issued, they were granted a no-knock warrant. Yet they knocked. Yet they said they knocked and announced themselves. And that's sort of uh, the bit of the controversy here because it's like, why would you knock if you were issued a no-knock warrant? And then there's possibly um, some conspiracy controversy pertaining to the issuing of the warrant itself, saying that there was possibly a detective that misrepresented the truth in order to... Well, I'm still back at the the knocking. Mm-hmm. So there's an agreement that there was knocking by both parties. Right. Yet the discrepancy is... Whether they announce themselves. Right. Exactly. And so, common sense and logic would tell you, why would you announce yourself if you have a no-knock warrant? Well, why wouldn't you if you're knocking? And you, and you have your battering ram ready. So I don't understand why you wouldn't say police. And that's, that's where, just me. but that's, that's where the cause for confusion um, has kind of come into play. And you have two separate accounts. The police are saying, essentially, we were knocking. So, uh, of course, we've, we well, announced at ourselves. Night, how many people open their door without saying who is it at night? That's the thing. And, of course, you're going to knock on the door. Um, but the announcing yourself is is a portion. And I don't know quite what to believe here. I would imagine that they did knock on the door. They claimed that they knocked on the door because well, there was an agreement. Both parties said that they knocked on right. the door, but the, the detectives claimed that they knocked on the door because they believed she was in the home with a child or children and wanted to give her time to let the children know what was going on. Strange to me. Well, the, well, there's no way to let the children know what's going on. If you haven't announced that you're the police, right? It's, well, at any rate, I, I think that, of course, the circumstances of Breonna Taylor's um, death is unfortunate. Um, but I believe the good that may come out of this uh, is that there are going to be a lot of Americans, I hate to say average Americans, who learn more about the judicial process. Right. And, and I, who learn about elected officials who's elected and so hopefully it um spurs more demonstration in the voting process in government in understanding you know how everything works together how the cogs in the world wheels turn um mr walker kenneth walker who was a boyfriend uh his recordings after calling 911 after she was shot are all a party to the the released audio but what i find to be pretty much the the major takeaway from this was that the attorney general didn't pursue any homicide charges, which I find to be interesting. And a grand jury um, is essentially the first step. You you have the option as a prosecutor to present whatever, and them indicting them doesn't necessarily mean that the individual will be proven to be guilty. It's just a bit alarming that... I would speculate that he is not a lone wolf, that oh, this, no. this is common practice. So, again, this will this will enlighten, hopefully, many people um, and um, hopefully put on guard other attorney generals uh, going forward. Well, as he, to what he expected. doesn't have a, a high degree of trial experience or trial before getting this position. 
So his inexperience is, is, a, is a red flag as to who's puppeteering or who's controlling him and why mm-hmm. he is in the position that he's in. I'm not sure trial experience um When you're the highest be. prosecutor in the land? Well, in I this don't, particular jurisdiction? But trial experience, uh, I wouldn't think would influence um, whether or not charges for murder need to be brought up. Well, at least homicide. He's he's. Well, you you have an understanding of the law. That's just a matter of these are the circumstances, and this qualifies this particular charge or charges. So trial experience doesn't come into play yet. It doesn't come into play except for the fact of wondering what his motivations are and engaging in these behaviors that seem to be uncommon. He's doing what he was told. Which is the point, but who's telling him is 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 the question, and he is a Republican, so I find that to be interesting. And according to the background, ordinarily a person with this level of experience wouldn't necessarily be um, promoted to, or even elected, or have that that sort of uh, backing. But we see that that's pretty common nowadays for people to come through without a great deal of experience and be. Uh, elevated to certain positions that Mm -hmm. they might not be suited for but what's also interesting is the governor um doesn't seem to be dovetailing or backing him in many respects he's he's been calling for the release of the the documentation but it's still strange just from a by an objective view that he didn't seek a homicide charge now what happens in the future we'll have to see there's still a civil rights investigation that is pending um Perhaps the feds might step in and do something. They might launch an investigation into uh, his his prosecutorial practices. Maybe there's possibly some misconduct. We don't know. We don't know yet what the outcome will be. But it's interesting now that he's he's getting to a defensive um, stance as more information is is coming out. And I think that it was excellent for the grand juror or the the juror to step forward and file a motion right, in court um, to give transparency to the American public. It's a shame that they had to do that in order to um, bring that level of transparency and honesty because but it's also commendable. Absolutely. Long overdue. Absolutely. And it makes me wonder if that person had a legal background to know to do these things or even the means like, I don't know. I find it interesting. Very. Yeah. Okay. So the next thing that we're going to talk about is let's see. Give me a moment. Sorry, I thought I had it um, up. So, I apologize. So, Rangers in Texas, the Texas Rangers are investigating an incident involving a Hidalgo County Sheriff's Office after the family of a man who died last month claimed deputies caused his injuries, according to the Texas Department of Public Safety spokesperson. So essentially, uh, this now uh, deceased Jorge Gonzalez was held upright in a booking photo after sustaining a severe cervical fracture. So essentially, his neck was broken. And at no point did they request medical attention for him, even though you can see on one of the mugshots that there was a uh, significant bulge at the back of his neck. And so and you said they had to help him stand. They had to help him stand. So Gonzalez, who was 23, was arrested on April 12th and booked at 307 a.m. and charged with violation of emergency management plan, resisting arrest, public intoxication. Those were it. Wasn't a violent crime. Um, he was at a party. I've never heard of violating it. What an emergency. COVID-19's emergency plan. Oh, oh. So being out after curfew, essentially. Oh, 
So Mr. Gonzalez was at a party, was intoxicated. Um, the police arrived, saw him there. They were dealing with another disturbance, saw him there, asked him to go home. And I guess one of the individuals was possibly um, annoyed with him because he was seen later walking around the trailer park aimlessly where the party was located, walking around the trailer park and not really oriented. So Mm -hmm. he was intoxicated, couldn't find his way. So they choose to then arrest him. So, yeah. Well, I'm listening for whatever would have caused the, uh, the physical contact that would have caused the injury that he sustained. So I'm, uh, you know, okay, he was walking aimlessly. Yeah, so I guess they were frustrated with him um, walking around because he didn't go home. Mm, Okay. Yeah. So let's see. Let's look at the, the affidavit. So according to the affidavit, a deputy originally responded to a call in reference to an assault um, but while finishing up their investigation, he noticed a man asleep on his back. Several attempts were made to wake the man uh, and went un- unsuccessful. The man finally woke and appeared to be highly intoxicated. He told the deputies that he was drinking with his friends, but unable to find them. Um, it mentioned that he was walking around the trailer park unaware of where he was going. The probable cause does not distinguish the time from when Gonzalez was asleep to when he allegedly was walking around the, the park. Uh, they advised that he was being placed under arrest for violating the emergency management plan, according to the complaint. And he was also informed he was going to be charged with public intoxication. The final sentence and the probable cause read Mel resisted arrest and was finally handcuffed and transported. But during that time, he sustained significant injuries. Is it illegal to be asleep in, in public? I, honestly, uh, the sheriff, uh, I think he if I'm not mistaken, they, they've spoken out about it, but no, there was, there seemed to be no justification for the level of physical harm that he received that resulted in those injuries that he sustained. Well, I'm, I'm looking, I'm leaning more. I mean, were the police officers required to wake him? I guess it's my question. Is it illegal to be asleep in public? Uh, they're, they're required to check on him and see what the issue is like are you in need of medical attention and then if they notice that he's intoxicated then they have a couple options as to as to what they would do sometimes people are taken to um a drunk tank in order to sleep at all you're sleeping what if you're at home sleeping in your own yard or in your own lawn well well if you appear to be unconscious they can maybe ask you what the problem is and if you're completely um if you own the home and you are not intoxicated publicly mm-hmm. then oh, okay. there's nothing really that they can do you can you can go take a nap in your own personal property okay, on your I own lawn. but if there is like a disturbance or, or something of that nature and they want mm-hmm. to clear the scene they they do have the right to do that now what what happened after the fact to to the, to the point where he sustained a cervical fracture they mm-hmm. essentially broke his neck that requires some in-depth exploration because it, it just doesn't seem um it seems excessive so I hate it for his family. They're now uh, taking legal action to sue civilly because of his death, which I think they're well within their rights to do. 23. Had a one-year-old child. So, and now his family are essentially without a family member. But 23, I mean, you know, most um, people, if you've raised children who are now adults, 23 is young. I mean, Absolutely. the mentality of a 23-year-old, that's, that's, that's sad. 
Right. And this is not a police bashing uh, podcast. No. Uh, no. But unfortunately, we have another police oriented story here and it's less than flattering but it seems like it's a step in the right direction so we'll use this as an opportunity to see what it looks like to do the right thing on on you know where a a police department or sheriff's office does the right thing Mm -hmm. um so a sergeant with the hillsborough county sheriff's office in tampa has been fired and charged with a felony after aiming his gun inches from a handcuffed black man's head and threatening to kill him if the man did not give him his name So Sergeant Janak Amin, a 21-year veteran with the sheriff's office, was charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon on Friday for threatening the life of an unarmed black man on Thursday. The sheriff said at a news conference on Friday, so today, and that sheriff, the head sheriff, uh, Chronister, called the uh, deputy, I believe he was. Okay. No, I'm sorry. The sergeant called his behavior despicable, saying that the man under arrest was not being aggressive in any way. And he was only uh, quiet, apparently enraging. I mean, so he said, I can assure you that the gentleman was not being uncooperative. The bottom line is there's no reason, no rationale or justification why anyone had to point a gun at his head and threaten his life simply because he refused to identify himself. Mind you, they knew who he was. Well, I'm 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 still I'll be honest. I'm still stuck at handcuffed. Um I'm not sure I assume he was doing something that required him to be handcuffed. This despite gentleman, the fact that they didn't know who he was. Or, so or they knew who he no, they knew exactly who he was because this is the thing. He was only under arrest in the first place because the employees at the jail had mistakenly released him, which happens sometimes. Sometimes you get released to your own recognizance and you're not necessarily free to go. There right, could be I've issues with that. your warrant. There could be a number of things that have transpired and they accidentally release you. Mm-hmm. So this gentleman um had been inadvertently transferred to a behavioral center in their their area a treatment facility uh and in the Tampa officer for, was there to retrieve him they came as a group to mm-hmm. retrieve him so right. he was he was supposed to go there or the facility is for people with substance abuse or mental health issues and he was not supposed to be there so he left that facility mm-hmm. and once the sheriff's office realized the mistake they went looking for him they found him hiding behind a trailer and when they were when the officers confronted him, uh, they put him in the prone position, lying flat on his stomach on the ground and handcuffed him. But he would not give his name. And so at that point, the sergeant knelt down next to him, drew his firearm, pointed it inches from his head. And what happens after that has been left to some dispute. Some of them said that he may have said something to the effect of, if you don't give me your name, I'll splatter your brains all over the concrete. Now, his attorney says that's not what was said. But what's interesting is the officers on the scene felt so aggrieved or felt so bothered by what he said that they reported him to the chain of command immediately. Wow. And they said that that was in response to recent training that they had that stated that they had a responsibility to speak out when they saw behavior that was unbecoming or put, you know, the public's Absolutely. life in jeopardy. Right. So or d- undermined it or undermines of forging a more positive relationship with minorities and the police. But this was beyond that. I mean, right. No, I mean, with regard to the officers speaking up. So I found that to be great. Great. So uh, they were, they were alarmed by the threat. They told him that they had equipment that would easily allow the Sergeant to identify the man with the touch of a finger. A detective assured him that it was the person that they were looking for and stepped in to take him into his own custody and walk away with him Mm -hmm. to take him out of the situation, which 
people, for those listening, um, even law enforcement as a person who worked in a support role, I have family who work in support roles in law enforcement. This is the kind of behavior that we, we look for. We want to see. Absolutely. Um, people. Because we, we, you know, no, no one wants a society in, in which you don't have police. I think that we have um, gotten uh, off course with regard to what the intention of uh, defunding, you know, the police um, entails, you know, not no one wants a society where there aren't any police. Right. I mean, you, we need, you know, we need law enforcement. We do. And so the new policy is called the duty to intervene policy. Um, I love it. And it's for what well, it's it states deputies who stand by while the colleague brutalizes people or engaging in other unacceptable behavior could also face consequences for it, failing to step in and to deescalate the situation. Right. So that's something that's needed all over the country mm-hmm. at this point. Um, Absolutely. And I think that that's excellent training. <sighs> I think I th- it is a step in a, in the right direction. Yes, absolutely. Right. And hopefully it will do well to target the kind of um, culture that uh, lauds not speaking out, protecting your fellow officer, even when it's to the detriment of the public or detriment to other people's safety. Um, That is definitely a part of the culture. You can be ostracized or blackballed or mistreated if you choose to step forward and snitch or tattletale on one of your uh, cohorts or colleagues as a society we have um we don't we have become self-serving absolutely so perhaps this is the perfect balance you know you step forward to protect yourself essentially so whatever works yes and so the sheriff had this to say and will in that that particular story on this he says that it only takes one incident to violate the oath that you take violate the public's trust and break the law and that is true that's true that's true so many of you may not remember who i'm going to bring up next um but she definitely is a staple of my childhood in particular ananda lewis who was a mtv jock do you remember her vaguely had curly long hair and a lively personality she unfortunately has um stage three breast cancer and so she is currently battling that. And October is Breast Cancer Aware Month. Okay. So, yeah, she used to be the host of BET's Teen Summit, and she had her own nationally syndicated uh, talk show. Do you remember that? She had her own talk show. I remember it. It was uh, pretty cool. And it was I think it was around the time that Queen Latifah had one, or before, not her second one, but her first one. Vaguely. She had a talk show, and it was really uh-huh. cool. Um, but, yeah, so she has... Uh, stage three breast cancer and she opened up in a video message apologizing to those who might be offended that she was sharing her diagnosis publicly first she didn't even tell her family first Um, but for a really long time she said she had refused to have mammograms and that was a mistake and she is 47 years old so wow definitely a mistake she said that she watched her mom get mammograms for almost 30 years and at the end of that she had breast cancer and she said, huh, radiation exposure for years equals breast cancer. Yeah, I'm going to pass. Thanks anyways. And in fact, she found out that she did have breast cancer. So that being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I'd like to say to all of the women out there, um, please go and get checked. Have your regularly scheduled right. mammograms. The best defense for breast cancer is early diagnosis. 
early diagnosis. And particularly for black women, um, please go get checked. Um, I know that uh, certain cancers disproportionately affect women of color. And I believe that uh, breast cancer may be one of those things. So please, if you know anyone who has been skipping out on their mammograms or you yourself may be afraid to go and get checked, whether it's testicular cancer or it's um, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, breast cancer, please go and get checked uh, regularly. Regularly, Unfortunately, cancer um, is one of those things that seems to be taking us out, you know, and there's no cure and no one knows where it comes from these days. So please go and get checked. All right. So moving right along. Our topic for today is going to be a Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma. Yes, yes. So I know many of us have smartphones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty deep. I mean, virtually everyone. It's estimated that approximately 4 billion people have smartphones. Mm -hmm. And with that comes um, social media, social apps. Now, social media has transformed our lives in so many ways. It's been so... Um, powerful in terms of um, like the Black Lives Matter movement, for example, the George Floyd incident, if it hadn't been for social media and for recording devices, that crime would have gone unanswered. And, uh, you know, the jury's still out on that. They're, they are not actually um, at trial currently. But the fact that in, in the court of public opinion, for better or for worse, um, was able to galvanize the country, not just the country, but the world, people all over the world marching for Um, that heinous, senseless murder that we witnessed on Uh our social media apps. Um, And the Breonna Taylor incident, it had been, what, a month or so before? She had passed away in March and George Floyd happened, I think, in April. So even that, bringing that to our consciousness and our awareness, it took uh, a social media app. But Mm -hmm. with social media also come some challenges and some drawbacks. So we're going to be exploring those. Yes, yes. Yeah. So first, we'd like to play a clip from um, the documentary. And we're going to start here and we'll go to comments and thoughts after it actually loads. Look at more ads so they can make more money. Facebook conducted what they called massive scale contagion experiments. How do we use subliminal cues on the Facebook pages to get more people to go vote in the midterm elections? And they discovered that they were able to do that. One thing they concluded is that we now know we can affect real world behavior and emotions without ever triggering the user's awareness. They are completely clueless. Okay. That's that's the opening line that I'd like to talk about. Um, well, before we get into that specifically, mm-hmm. one of my major takeaways, and I don't know if this is specific to my age group, uh, initially when, um, you know, when I decided to check out this documentary, mm-hmm. you know, I was going to get some takeaways to um, maybe speak to my family, my friends, you know, about social media. I think it's important to point out that social media is is a broad term because I am one of um, I'm in the minority in that I pride myself on the fact that 
well I don't have social media I'm not on Facebook um, I'm not on Twitter I have an Instagram, but I can't tell you when I've been on it. So mm -hmm. I really didn't necessarily think that this documentary was going to enlighten me. Okay. Um, so it's important to, I think, um, explain that social media also means other platforms. Um, I found myself um, a, uh, realizing I'm a YouTube junkie, which qualifies under that social media term right. for the sake of this documentary. Well, not just for the sake of the documentary, but for the sake of what it truly is. Mm -hmm. And what we'll find as we continue to explore this documentary is that their semantics plays a huge role in um, our conception of these things. Yes. Uh, not only our conceptions of these things, but our conceptions of the world and that people who understand how we uh, codify and decodify language are able to manipulate that to change our awareness. And so the piece that she talks about when she says um, that it's, it, is, it is beyond our conscious awareness is, is a huge element of the problem with social media. Social media is any, any platform that allows one person to connect with the masses. So it can be YouTube, it's Snapchat, it's Instagram, it's Twitter, it's Facebook, it's MySpace, it's TikTok. It's anything that you go to um, it's grinder. It's, a, you know, okay, Cupid. If you go there in an effort to connect with the world around you or the lar larger world to possibly see what someone is doing thousands of miles away from mm -hmm. you or beyond your touch, your reach, your mm -hmm. actual physical or learn about a product ability, or, you know, yeah, by, by other people. So it's mm -hmm. not like television in that respect. It's, it's not Netflix. It's not these things, but these things, um, still, like Netflix, for example, it, it does the same thing. It tracks our behaviors in order to uh, sell in traffic mm -hmm. and, and the human and experience and make right. recommendations and so on and so forth. But nevertheless, um, as an overview, you would be hard pressed to find a human being today who doesn't uh, belong to some social media platform. I know my grandmother, your mother, for example, mm -hmm. uh, was a person who has utilized Facebook, but she refused to have a smartphone for many years right. saying that that was how they get you. That's how yes. they get you. And I'm not going to become one of those people. And in the, and I right. think she's she a case would, she study. And she wouldn't uh, make payments on the internet right. for the longest, right. But yeah. in six months, she figured out how to text. And now she's a proficient, proficient texter. And at one point, I remember being so astounded because she was using shorthand like LOL and, and all these things. And I was like, who has been instructing my grandmother on right. how to use this stuff? Now she's on Telegram. Or, and or let us not forget the day that I had to ask her what YOLO meant. And she <sighs> knew. So I'm just saying. I think that is a cautionary tale for the rest of us. And mind you, she is 69? Yes. 69. So that's a, it's a cautionary tale for the rest of us. So... Um, but to, to go well, back she, to the, she says she's, she engages to, uh, stay in touch with her grandchildren. Right. That's how they get you. <laughs> <laughs> that's how they get you. Okay. So I found that statement from at 28 minutes in the documentary. If you haven't seen it, we're talking about it so that you will go and watch it. Yes. I found that statement to Please be, um, confirmation for me. I try to limit my use of Instagram, but I can't quite make that happen with YouTube just because it's, it's a platform that I honestly was using initially to circumvent advertisements and commercials. And with the boom of YouTube mm -hmm. recently, it has become ever increasingly more difficult to avoid advertisements. But 
you have to think about social media in the terms of um, advertising dollars, not just advertising dollars, but mind control. In the 50s and and the 60s, um, there were governments who were investing large sums of money in understanding humanity and human beings, how they think. Um, It was the predecessor to what we understand as psychology, which Mm -hmm. I have a psychology degree. Psychology became a modern phenomenon in the 70s. That's when it was really um, sort of grounded. That's the beginning mm-hmm. of, of the, the movement of psychology. And even then, it wasn't quite taken seriously, but well, it was born out of... if you back it up of, a few years, I remember that being the biggest takeaway from the assassination of Robert Kennedy, remember? Right. Yeah. The yes. Brainwashing and brainwashing. mind control. MK right. Ultra brainwashing mm-hmm. mind control. And I know right. for some, it might seem like conspiracy, but the truth of the matter is what modern governments and corporations anyone dealing in capitalism has understood since the beginning of time is if you can um, predict human behavior if you can predict human behavior you can control the masses that is if you look at who was funding most of the experiments um, in terms of psychology and our conception of psychology from skinner to pavlov you might be surprised at what you find um, but particularly the having organizations like the CIA spending man hours money um, at the root of allegedly. understanding allegedly excuse me but MK Ultra documents have come out so it's not alleged anymore right so th- that that I'm was an actual right but, but we'll say allegedly but mm-hmm. it, you can the information's out there that they were um, spending a lot of time and effort and energy in trying to understand how the human mind works so that they can control it or use it to their mm-hmm. benefit um and that has been done in a number of ways, but never before has that power been in the hands of um, a corporation, a corporation, or a even governments person. or right. a regular person mm-hmm. until the advent of social media. Um, and that's what should be most alarming to us as as American citizens and as human beings is that our thoughts are our most prized possession. Mm-hmm the abilities for someone to read your mind, it should be the most unnerving thing on the planet to you. And couple that with the fact that uh, the current generation that who are coming of age, becoming adults, mm-hmm. as well as every generation to follow will be raised and indoctrinated in into this manner media. of being, right. into this manner. Right. Of being. They don't, they don't, they won't have a comparison, um, you know, as to what it was like without before. Mm hmm. And even for a person like me, who is a millennial, um, what life was like before, it's kind of difficult to imagine what it was like. But I can recall having a BlackBerry and making the the transition into an iPhone and how it was miles ahead. It was so different. It was so transformative. And that was in college for me, Mm -hmm. that the time that I went from having a BlackBerry to using an iPhone. Um, with the BlackBerry, I could browse the internet, but it would be incredibly slow. I had apps, but it was nowhere near the um, level of uh, exposure that I have using right. an iPhone and playing on Instagram and what Androids are now today. So it made a huge impact on on my world. But even you know, talking to my my therapist or having a, my myself be evaluated by a psychologist, and when I got the uh, feedback, it was like you're describing a generation people who struggle with making human connection or mm-hmm. um, being evaluated or that was having a, ma- a, a that low self esteem. Takeaway for me, just these the social effects of social media. Right. So it it has replaced 
physical, social interaction almost. Yeah. You know, to hear that most young people um, haven't gone on a date. Amen. Was, was mind blowing. That was for for me as well. But that's that is the the danger in it. One, knowing that I'm not alone in that um, was was pretty like uh, soothing in a sense. But it's also alarming in that for human connection, mm-hmm. the place we turn to is our phones. It's not sitting down and having conversations like it likely was in, in your time period. Mm-hmm. It's not knowing how to develop social skills so you can ask someone out on a date. It's not going and hanging out in a club. If people are hanging out in the club, they're on their Instagram or their Snapchat taking photos and videos of their surroundings. Mm-hmm. It's made us um, a culture who is very superficial and egocentric. So it's all about our own worlds and trying to create a sense of meaning in our Mm -hmm. lives. And our meaning doesn't come from human connection, even though we are biologically hardwired for connection. We need it. It is paramount for our self-esteem. It's paramount for our ability to think and function and feel. Right. That's what I was going to say. Development. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're desensitized. But the. And then it. And then. It's only going to trickle down to future generations. I th- I think for me, and I don't know if it's because I'm uh, 20 years your senior, mm-hmm. um, I think for me, one of, I guess, the most painful acknowledgments of this, of, of the way social media has trained the world, is that most people younger than myself depend on an online source for knowledge. Yes. And for... Validation. No, historical reference. You know, I grew up in a time where you had an encyclopedia. Now, they updated it every year. You got a new world book or a Britannica every year. But you had had to read to learn about history. Um, And not just encyclopedias. You read books by authors, you know. Um, So, you know, I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like to not have tangible sources of history. And in light of the things learned in this documentary, um, when you begin to question what's real, I mean, what, you know, it's like, what will become of us? Yeah. And so we're, we're definitely going to play a clip that talks about the what's real and the reality and how um, social media is changing our sense of what a collective truth is. Um, And that's astounding. But the, in those days where you had to read books, the same were true. I mean, as African-Americans, we know that what we read in textbooks coming up before the uh, magnification of the Internet wasn't always necessarily true. Um, and some texts right. had to undergo rigorous uh, scrutiny prior to being published. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, but you had you the ability had to the... search for other sources um, and you you had a you could search for enough sources that you could reason what was true and what wasn't. So there were times where you were reading actual historical accounts. I mean, so you have various ways to quantify what was true though. The same is true today. You still have all those things. The problem is there's just so much of it. And the issue that social media sort of presents to us is that they can tailor it to you. Uh, They can control your sense of reality by only giving you information that confirms your already held beliefs. And they're studying you to the point that they already know what you believe. They know what you visit every day. They know um, like the like the documentary talks about when you're feeling lonely, when you're Mm -hmm. feeling scared. They're studying you 24 seven. And And that's what I mean. That's disturbing. Yeah. Because when you are raising a generation who is only accustomed to an online source 
to fact check. Right. Okay. They aren't going to go look for second opinions. Unfortunately, though, and what what's highlighted in the documentary as well is that it's not just our generation. Right. I mean, I agree, but I will say, and I'm not, and and I don't want to say that it's just mm-hmm. your generation, but um, I will say there is more of a possibility. Well, that the older generation will use other means. I don't know if you, I don't know, you remember a few years ago when I went back to college mm-hmm. um, and I remember um, my mother had recently gone back to, to college um, before then to get her master's. And I remember her saying to me, um, you know, it's not going to be like you think. She was like, you know, she thought that she would feel out of place uh, being an older student, she said, but the, her main takeaway was she was like, all the young people do is Google. And she said, whereas we came from the time when you had to read and study. And I actually found that to be true. And I remember various classes, courses, having to give presentations and there would be maybe system out. Maybe the internet would be down. And professors would say, is there anyone in here who, who can do their presentation that doesn't have a PowerPoint? And it was always me. And so that's, I think that with the older generation, you know, you'll, you'll see, you'll have more of the possibility that we won't lean strictly on well, un- unfortunately, I think that we're we're reaching a point where it's difficult for the older generation to probably even distinguish what information they're being fed, like Facebook users, for example. And that's why the, the clip at 28 minutes that we played was so interesting, because it talks about voter manipulation. And the Facebook CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, was being um, questioned before Congress by the Senator AOC. I will just refer to her as an acronym. And many people are in, in blazing and bolding and angry when they even hear those those three letters mentioned together in a, in a sentence. But one of the things she asked him was, could someone essentially skew an election mm. utilizing advertisement? Could they pay for essentially? Can you pay for an election um, or a vote? Can you pay? Can you pay to misrepresent information in order to? Um, skew the outcome of an an election and what they found when Facebook um, conducted that study was that yes you can influence you can influence voter behavior and in this current climate that is so scary Mm -hmm. because we see it and it made me view the CNN feeds in a bit of a different light when you have um, the president mentioning the Proud Boys recently and you couple that with the understanding that what a person sees where they go for their news. That's right. that's one truth. Oftentimes, people are not reading the paper anymore. They're not getting a objective, neutral news source. News outlets are owned by corporations. And so when you pay attention to the fact that you have these two sides who are galvanized against each other, and uh-huh. even when you view law enforcement as it pertains to the black community and the black community saying, we're not against you. We, it's, that's not what we're saying. We just want to be treated fairly. Whereas you, you have to wonder what, what are police officers being fed? Right. The narrative that black people only want to kill you, that right. they only view you as um, evil. When the truth of the matter is it's, it's fear on both sides, mm-hmm. but you have to wonder what you're being fed. What does it take for a person to drive their truck? And that was one of the stories that we actually didn't get to. Um, but we'll I'll talk about it a bit in detail after this. But what does it take for an individual to drive their their vehicle into a crowd of protesters for exercising their their 
constitutional right to protest simply because they don't agree with you. And then you view that in the context of what has been mentioned in this documentary about um, how Facebook, a place where people go for their news sources, where many people, that's their, that's the, the, that's the place that they go to to receive their news. If all of those advertisements and everything that you're being fed from Google, whatever you type into Google, from your Instagram to your Facebook, all of these places where you spend 10 hours plus a day on your phone, what if all those things are telling you that the enemy that you need, that you want, that you fear mm -hmm. is the person who doesn't look like you. Right. Who is a Black Lives Matter protester. Right. Who is a counter protester. Well, who is your neighbor? Who is your that neighbor? That just has a different color political sign in their yard. Right. Mm -hmm. And so how, how foreign would it be to have be fed all this information, mm -hmm. this propaganda, because that is truly what it is, this propaganda to have you go outside and then pull a gun on that neighbor without mm -hmm. them being aware of there ever being a problem or, and ju you or just pull simply a, pull a trigger. not speak to that neighbor. Um, you know, for me, it was, um, of course, eye opening, but it also helped me to, in a sense, um, maybe give a grain of salt where I may exactly. may not have. You know, exactly. because knowing that um, someone may be receiving the wrong information kind of helps me understand, right, empathize and not think. Because just as is mentioned in the documentary, you look and say, how can they how can they how think is it like possible? that? Right. right. And it also raises concerns about outside influences, because that's one of the major Definitely. takeaways for me was the fact that individuals in different countries with different agendas, My, different governments well. can destabilize your country. It used to be a, destabilize a whole country, country using social will, media. In short, destabilize the society, society. and not that. just society, yeah. but globally. Right. Exactly. Now, more than ever. Mm -hmm. If you look around the world and whether you trust the news sources or not, there are people who are protesting, not just Black Lives Matter, but for income, income disparities or inequalities mm -hmm. about the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. A part of what's mm -hmm. covered in this documentary is is how that how the rich are able to exploit our our behavior against mm -hmm. us in right. order to make money off of us. They're, they're literally um, like the housing crisis of 2008 and 2009, how they were betting against mortgage failures. They were essentially goading people to take more mortgages that they knew they could not afford in order to exploit them, to turn around and make a profit based upon the um, insurance that they were, right. they were hedging bets that people would default on their mortgages and they were purposefully leading them into selecting these mortgages knowing that there was not enough information consumer information which there's supposed to be transparency in the consumer process why they have truth in lending documents and etc but they were utilizing lack of financial acumen which you can't even say acumen when you are the person in control you're the monopoly and you're exploiting consumers Mm -hmm. But they were they were getting them to take these mortgages on and then betting against the fact that they were defaulting like human futures, which this documentary talks about human futures. Mm -hmm. They were betting in human futures, knowing that people were going to default on their mortgages. They were then taking out insurance policies on those those on said mortgages. So they were taking all of the money, knowing that at the end they would be left with the collateral, which is the home. Right. So they're going to get they're going to get your money for your more all of the mortgage payments because once you default you forfeit all of that money right they get the home back to then resell and then they have insurance policies that they take out against so they're collecting multiple times and then when the mortgage when uh all of the mortgages essentially fail um 
they would then get proceeds. But the problem was, and they'll um, get additional proceeds because that that fa- that failed mortgage is going to impact the credit, which is going to cause exactly a, um, predatory lending down the line in the future. In the right. future, mm-hmm. but the problem was the insurance companies. Uh, I don't think that they bet on all of those mortgages um, defaulting at the same time. And so then we had the mortgage crisis, right? Um, but to, to take it back, it's it's sort of like the same thing, which is if you look around today, you have people betting on utilizing advertisements, selling sureties, guarantees to um, whoever's, whoever's paying, whether it's the banks or it's mm-hmm. um, outside influences, outside governments. As long as you have the money, mm-hmm. there's no regulation to stop these uh, corporations, Facebook, MySpace, from selling your personal data, your information to these inconspicuous individuals. And so one of the alarming things was when um, a gentleman talked about the fact that there was no Russian hack, that there, it wasn't a hack. It was they took what was legal, mm-hmm. actual profiles, actual for, advertisements, for legitimate mm-hmm. advertisers and users, and they applied it to a nefarious purpose. So manipulation by third parties is not a hack. And he was absolutely mm-hmm. right. So it raises all of these Or to concerns. frame it in another way, um, in a sense, warfare. Yeah. It's not a hack. It used to require there to be boots on the ground mm-hmm. in order to destabilize a country. And it didn't matter whether we were talking about... Or to about invade a country. And to invade a country. And it mm-hmm. didn't matter if we were talking about um, a third world country. Mm-hmm. If we right. were talking about Cuba, for example, right. if you, you go back and you look at some of the records, it would require them to send agents to your front door, to the front door of a dictator or a political figure in order to figure out how to um, how to compromise them, how to infiltrate. Mm-hmm. And now... Your cell phone is your your weakness, no matter right. who you are. As long as they can get to you digitally, they have the propensity to infiltrate your circle, your inner circle. And to shape you. And to shape Not you. Just, you're right. And the exposure can begin at a young age. Absolutely. Yeah. And the and I remember I, I felt one of my uh, another big takeaway for me from the documentary is realizing or feeling controlled by shareholders right you know it's kind of like a puppet on the string it's like the whole world is bound to shareholders welcome welcome to capitalism and see this is the interesting part about that is no matter what industry here we're talking about where it's it's interconnected when people talk about globalism when you had ronald reagan talking about relaxing borders and free trade Essentially, what they were ushering in is a conception of what we know biblically as a new world order. Mm-hmm. You might have heard politicians mention this flat out. You might have heard. But this is what it looks like, people. When you start interconnecting governments and relaxing trade, relaxing regulation, when you hear when you hear lobbying um, as it pertains to um, free trade and lack of regulation, limited government, those are codified. It's coded language that essentially means we do what we want and we answer to no one about it. And so corporations of various types, it doesn't matter where you look in in our world, we're controlled and led by corporations on the telecom side. You have one big name. We won't mention that name, but they own everything. Um, In terms of consumerism, you now have Amazon and Walmart. Amazon and Walmart and a close third being uh, like Target, big box retailers. um, And you, you can list them on one hand, no matter what aspect of capitalism or consumerism that you mention 
as it, whatever product, if you were to go and pick something up, generally speaking, the key players are only a few, less right. than five. Right. And what that amounts to is a monopoly. So when you say that the whole world has now become consumerism, yes. When you have the Western ideal being the American dream, being capitalism, and it's sold to you as this um, thing for human benefit, it is mm-hmm. not. In this context, they talk about how um, social media is an artificial intelligence, and that's essentially what it is. People call it a tool, but it's a it's an artificial intelligence. And when you have the ability to control human behavior going to someone for the highest bidder, that is capitalism. But it's also... Um, well, the, and then this tool is designed um, with the intention yeah. to control and persuade. It, with the intention of controlling and persuading and also manipulating. Mm-hmm. So that's, yes, as as Americans, as people who are global citizens, we are beholding to, beholden to consumer interests. And that's essentially the struggle that we find ourselves in. And unfortunately, it, it feels like it, everything has gone too far corporations are not human beings that's that's the major thing we need to understand so if you as a listener as a voter as a person um, are expecting them to operate with any sense of morality or any sense of um, the the boots bootstraps phenomenon philosophy that all it requires for you as a person to elevate yourself in this world is to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, work as hard as possible, um, put your best foot forward, and that things will work out for you. It's a lie. It's a myth that was sold to you because corporations run the world. Fortunately, they, they do. Mm-hmm. And they're not as vast as you, you might think. And they no longer want to fund the bootstrap philosophy, right. dream. And who? Because that requires allowing you to um to work at that corporation to be where you are long enough um you know 30 years maybe just like it used to be you 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 got a good job at a corporation you work 30 years you retired that concept cost the corporation too much corporations are run by human beings but there are only a few of those human beings who truly are the gatekeepers and the key holders and the powerful individuals and and those entities and even them it requires for them to give up their humanity their identity in order to play so that actually let's go to a clip that kind of deals with that and talks about um the business model of social media and why it is such a problem and then we'll kind of dip backwards a bit because I think this it's important to understand be leading to political polarization was nowhere on our radar I don't think these guys set out to be evil it's just the business model that has a problem you could shut down the service and destroy whatever it is 20 billion dollars of shareholder value and get sued and but you can't, in practice, put the genie back in the bottle. You can make some tweaks, but at the end of the day, you've got to grow revenue and usage quarter over quarter. It's The bigger it gets, the harder it is for anyone to change. What I see is a bunch of people who are trapped by a business model, an economic incentive, and shareholder pressure that makes it almost impossible to do something else. I think we need to accept that it's okay for companies to be focused on making money. What's not okay is when there's no regulation, no rules, and no competition, and the companies are acting as sort of de facto governments 
And then they're saying, well, we can regulate ourselves. I mean, that's just a lie. That's just ridiculous. And see, here's the thing about governments. Generally, generally speaking, governments have people to answer to, whether it's um, in, in large or small ways. Some governments participate in the UN and in terms of human rights violations and war crimes would have to go before the United mm -hmm. Nations. Um, some governments will have to answer to voters and, you know, have constitutions that mm -hmm. build in protections for their citizens, even though those protections oftentimes are not necessarily um, executed. They still are there. There are still guidelines, written laws. And what we like to think here in America is that no man is above the law. However, what we have come to find out is that corporations are not held to those same standards at all. Well, are you know, but if if the individuals or the people or the masses who are who should um, hold people, the government accountable, as you just mentioned, if we're brainwashed, if we're addicted to the persuasive tools, I mean, but that's the thing. Even the people who are creating the artificial intelligence and we're calling them tools or we're calling them social media. But really what it is, is uh, micro artificial intelligences and they have particular names like Facebook and then they have names like um, Instagram. But really, it's the guise of social media because it's utilizing those uh, your ability to interact with people to draw you in to draw you in. But once it draws you in, it starts extracting information and targeting you and pulling and pushing you in certain directions, causing mm -hmm. you to behave in ways oftentimes that you might not necessarily would. It's shaping your worldview. It's not only shaping your worldview, but it's, it's shaping how you view yourself as an individual. So um, when it comes to the platforms itself, I feel like, like you said, the genie has already gotten out of the bottle. There's no real way for us, it seems, to correct this behavior. How, what are we going to do? Every time we turn around, even now, Facebook and and Twitter and Google, the C, their CEOs are going before Congress at the end of the month. And there's this huge uh, hoopla about it being so close to the election date. And they're going to answer um, to Republicans and Democrats who have two very different ways of viewing the same problem. Uh -huh. Republicans say that they um, are censoring uh, its users in inappropriate ways, like flagging certain posts as being uh, misinformation or uh, intentionally trying to incite certain um, prejudices or biases. Uh -huh. And certain people have issues with that. And then on the other side, um, Democrats are so concerned about the possible implications for controlling uh, the outcomes of elections, for example. So you or can't restrict in free speech. Right. Mm -hmm. But you can't find the middle ground. And it's no different than what we talked about in terms of um, how do you know what is real? Collectively, we're at a point where we mm -hmm. truly can't decide what whether truth is whether we're living in the matrix or not you know i find it interesting that you know in the past you would look at movies like terminator or matrix and you would say you know one day in the future that that may be possible today yeah today right and in a number of ways and i honestly am starting to wonder if those things were trying to prepare us um unconsciously for what was to come. I think about the minority report and it's, it's, that's what keeps looming out at me. 
for some reason, that movie where you had uh, precogs, uh, precognitives, people who would see crimes before they actually happen. And it, like an artificial intelligence, for example, um, or the, what was the movie with uh, what's his face where the twin gets killed? Um, Shia LaBeouf. He stars in a film where the artificial intelligence uh, turns out to be the thing that turns turned on its master. You know, the rules of um, technology, how there were certain rules that you, one of them being that um, technology can't harm its harm its users. Mm. Um, I can't recall what that that's actually called, but the rules that were set in place. It, but, but all these movies that talked about how artificial intelligence could compromise our sense of humanity and our sense of justice in Minority Report, there was a flaw in the system, and it was causing people to be uh, improperly just it you know. Um, charge for crimes when it's like okay well who's to say that your action you're acting upon uh even the precognition of a crime doesn't change the outcome do you understand what i'm saying like there are so many possibilities in the future right but when you are acting upon it to bring about a certain outcome we should be concerned and that is what we are seeing here in a number of fashions it it has infiltrated every facet of our lives and we're not just going to say it's social media is is the biggest demon in the room no we have no. A, we have a few others climate change being one of them but this is something that i think we should definitely definitely be aware of right well we have to be aware i think what we were looking for earlier knowledge is power yeah. so um we definitely need to be aware of it so that perhaps we can there can be a consensus of how we can move forward how you know how we come up with a way to um change the you know the way that this is going i don't know i think the most alarming thing for me the most alarming thing for me is that we as a people um are not cognizant of how close we are to the brink of destruction and when i say that i don't mean to incite a panic i'm i don't want to make it seem as though we are conspiracy minded or any of those things but truly from an objective perspective that we are in trouble we're in trouble um for me it's the polarization it is that you can have two people generally people are neighbors because they are similar whether, you know, they can be different racial, they can be different culturally. Um, but typically you live, your neighbors and your lifestyle is similar. You make usually the same amount of money. Um, and yet when you have people, neighbors who don't relate to one another, you, you know what I'm saying? They're allowing, they're, we're so polarized that we allow other things to um, separate us. You know, think about it. I look at it this way. You know, you're my neighbor. We make similar, um, this, you know, income. So generally our issues should be fairly common, fairly the same. You know, we live here. We make this amount of money. Taxes is a big thing. That's a major concern or should be. You know, we want to pay less taxes kind of thing. So you're, you're seeing less of that and seeing... Um, because people are not living and dwelling in their realities 
they're glued to their phones. Right. Your phone then becomes the true reality. And the, and the documentary talks about that as well. Mm-hmm. And and that's what's disturbing. To that's me. the disturbing element. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're moving away from the the things that are real and the things that are important and the things that should matter. And we are being persuaded based on maybe one particular issue or we're being told we're different. So we believe it. Yeah. And I think not just that, but just the whole element of truth. Once upon a time, and maybe maybe then we were wrong as well, but there seemed to be this fight, this urge to get back to the middle on what was true. And it took years in order to shift something from truth. Um, if you look at the 60s and mm-hmm. the civil rights movement, for example, that was a struggle for what was what what truth were we going to go with? Were we going to go with the truth that African-American people were truly not equals to us? Or are we going to go with the truth that every man has an inalienable right to Mm -hmm. life, Life, liberty, liberty. and the pursuit of happiness? Mm -hmm. Is that truly what we believe today? Now it is whoever has the most money that your money, your, the intangible things are what grant you the right to uh, lead an abundant life. Our, our values have changed. Our values have changed. What's important now is... Yes, but it's, it's not always the money. Like I said, you could have two neighbors who make the same money who still can't meet They don't know that. Middle. They don't know that. And that's... Well, I think the fact that your neighbors just, no, you know, speaks to that on some no, level. No, it should speak to that, but it doesn't. You have people who look and say, how does how does X, Y, and Z afford this? How do they really afford this? How are they living here? Because we've had neighbors who said that. How do you do it? Because we're struggling. How are, how are you doing it? How are you making it? Because everything that I have been fed tells me that you should not be here. When your brother was living in Philadelphia and he had a neighbor who no, I agree with that. questioned and I, and him I, and, and said, not. how are you living here? People are, they don't operate under the assumption that we are more similar than we are different. They buy into the notions of what they are fed and that black people, for example, this is just an example, are supposed to behave and act and live in a certain way. And if you don't have people in your life to challenge that belief, you go with it. It's no different than law enforcement. When you, when you are a law enforcement officer and you were born and bred Mm -hmm. in an environment that was predominantly, but that's, but I agree with that, but, but I the logic of it says though no. if you don't if you don't pay your house payment you you get put out so once i've been your neighbor and years go by they can then, come up with a whole host of reasons and they still will be looking and questioning and wondering how but in their mind it could be that you're doing something you're not supposed to do it could be that you're a criminal just because we live next door to each other, it doesn't mean we're the same. And most importantly, everything that I have been unconsciously trained to believe says that you should not be living next door to me. People are not trafficking in empathy here. Right. I agree with that. But I, I just... And that's what is being exploited. Those things, those biases are what they are exploiting. That's what they right. exploit. When they're feeding you misinformation and they're feeding you a worldview that that confirms your, and you have to understand here in this country, that is what you are, how we need to label everything is just an example of 
of that bias, those implicit biases that are trained into us. Not only are they getting us in the classroom when we're five years old as it pertains to how um, racially divided we truly are in this country, but from a consumerism and a economic aspect, they're getting people early. They're indoctrinating them into this culture, into a manner of being that suggests that you have to ask for permission to be, to be. Which keeps you distracted, which keeps you distracted. So that you can be controlled. Right. You are not entitled to abundance. You are not entitled to uh, to have the products that you purchase uh, in a store work for you and not only work for you, not harm you. So the chemicals that are put in food, et cetera, that you are not entitled to those things. If you want clean water, you buy it. When from a biblical perspective, God put everything on this earth that a man would need to sustain himself. But yet we have to buy water, clean water. In Flint, Michigan today, there are people who have lead and arsenic in their water. They have no clean water. That's a basic human right that is being denied to them. And that is the slippery slope that we have been indoctrinated into a world that teaches us that we are not entitled to be, that you have to pay for it. You want to be happy? Buy a Gucci bag. Well, that that sets the foundation for advertisers yeah so to to control us right but you know what that points back to and so social media although it's free it's not free. it's not free right what you don't realize is that you're paying them in your information as a uh, mba graduate the one thing that you are taught is that if you can predict human behavior imagine the world is your oyster right Literally, if you can predict and understand what the mm-hmm. next thing is, what the next best right. thing is, the next hot thing, the next whatever. And you can predict how to get each individual engaged, to do what you want. Right. Engaged yeah. and willing to pay for the next, be- me- the Absolutely. next best thing, you, even before that individual real- realizes that is happening. Right. The entire or process. that they want it or that they, or that they will pay for or it. Or that you are the person who made them want it. Right. That you are the person that made That's it more scary. Imagine if it were a, if the internet, if Facebook was a brick and mortar store and all it did was invite you to come in, come in, press this button. Imagine how much money they can make simply by saying to the next guy, what do you, well, the guy says to Facebook, you're in your brick and mortar store. How are you getting people in? What is going on? I just tell people that they can come in and party with uh, with each other and that there's a, a, a whole likelihood that you might see someone, you know, mm-hmm. or potentially meet somebody that you want to know or even a spouse. And they say, really? Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, mm-hmm. I'll let you set up a booth outside of the store and you can put your products there because I know for a fact that X amount of people are going to come in. And I can also tell you what they want to see on that table outside the store and i can predict how many people are gonna buy your product yeah but you think about it Mm -hmm. how many in the grocery store and then we'll we'll even um do a live broadcast allow them to live broadcast from the store which is going to increase you know yeah the the likelihood of right but not only coming but not only that it's like you think about uh the psych the psychology behind impulsive buys I have a degree in consumer behavior. 
one of my degrees is in consumer right. behavior right. of understanding how to get a product from conception to in a store and then what it takes to make a person buy it. Why top shelf versus middle shelf versus bottom shelf matters. If you ever notice that many of the value products, they're, they're placed on the bottom shelf for a reason. They're not at eye level. There are people who dedicate their lives to understanding why people do what they do. And you have to understand this so that you can be informed and know how to navigate the system. And even then you're, it's a losing, it's a losing game for you. But using that store analogy, knowing that it's, it's reward, it's Pavlov's dogs, it's conditioning, knowing that you're going to come in and press a button. It means something to people who want to sell you things. And then you look around one day and you find that 90% of the population lives impoverished and lives on a fantasy credit because there's no real currency there. You're dealing in in false currency. Billionaires, they don't have tangible money that they go and access. They have to, 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 to sell or trade stocks or sell or trade property. They lose money by holding liquid funds and the money is only insured up to a point. But that tells you about our humanity. It wasn't until I learned about globalization in the lens of a t-shirt that I begin to understand that the Bible held a great deal of validity in a way that I had never understood before. And I'm sure it's not just the Bible, the Quran, any of the uh, religious practices and teachers likely talk about this. I remember looking around the classroom and literally almost hyperventilating and looking at my fellow classmates and wondering why they were not bothered by what I was hearing. It was like new world order is a real thing. Oh my God. Mm Mm-hmm. Listening to them talk about how RFID chips were being placed in items to get just-in-time delivery to ensure that our stores were stocked appropriately made me think about the mark of the beast. And so should this social media for many of you. We have gotten to a point where I would be astounded if we could ever make it back. And I know that we're sitting here having this conversation to help enlighten people. And I hope that there is some happily ever after for us as a humanity. But what I'm sensing and feeling as this next election looms is that things are going to get a lot worse before they get better for us, that there there might be wars had or um, destruction in a way that we can't quite quantify before we get to the next level. Even our system of capitalism, in a sense, is crumbling at our feet we're dealing in all of the the deficit what they're talking about when they when they refer to a deficit is that imaginary concept of credit and money we're indebted to different nations and all of those nations are connected in a global level when you talk about things like the world health organization and the united nations how there are a collective or a cooperative when you talk about deregulation and relaxing of borders everything is connected why a George Floyd can be killed in America and people in France march on his behalf, when people in London march on his behalf, when people around the world are aware of what happened to a man in the middle of this country, that should raise some red flags for you. But not only that. Or to know everything you do, you look at, is being... Watched. Yeah. What's the next best thing to read in a person's mind? being able to watch him 24 7 well i think predicting his future behavior is even more valuable than reading his mind you get both 
if you can read a person's mind, you know you right. you essentially know them well enough to be able to predict their behaviors. If you watch a person 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you get pretty good at predicting what they're going to do. When they're going to go to the bathroom, when they're going to wake up, when they're going to wash their car, when they're going to eat, what are they going to eat? Right. You might even, without that person's conscious awareness of you being present, you might even be able to shape their reality. You might be able to plant something um, in their room that makes you believe that, they're, that your spouse is cheating on you. You might be able to make that person believe that they have a health ailment when you've been spiking their milk with arsenic the entire time without their awareness. There's a lot of things you can do if a person doesn't know you're there. The Invisible Man, they made a whole movie about it. Well, in light of that, please check out The Social Dilemma. On Netflix. On Netflix. There's so much more to talk about and discuss, but we're going to bid you adieu for the night and hope that you come back and listen next time. We don't have the topic picked out, so it's going to be a surprise to you, <laughs> to me, to the rest to of us. Me. But we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Um, it was necessary. It was necessary. And God help us all in the future. <laughs> and hopefully this will, um, you know, you check out the, the Social Dilemma documentary and hopefully this causes you to have some necessary conversation with those in your life. Not just those in your life, but your representatives. Now yes. more than ever, we understand how important our congressmen and women are. Please reach out to one of them. Um, Representative Katie Porter is a powerhouse. She's one of the most logical um, individuals I've ever come across, you know, in terms of a state representative. In the next election, please do your part to be informed so that you are placing people in power that can do something to change this because it won't, it requires more than just one or two state representatives. It requires a collective and right. we have to start speaking out about uh, regulation, even though entities like Facebook and uh, corporations don't want us to regulate them. There needs to be some semblance of regu regulation because they're not going to operate in the, in our best interest. They haven't up until this point and they will never do that. So for everybody who may encounter this video or I'm sorry, not, 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 not video, Jesus, this podcast for everyone who may listen to this, I implore you to understand the importance of regulation. It's not just to make life more difficult, but it's to protect humanity. It's to protect the common everyday man, to corporations, future generations, right? Corporations are not interested in doing the right thing. They're not human beings. They don't have a conscience. They don't have ethics. They don't have morals or values. And the people who create them, once they create these these publicly traded entities, the only thing that they're concerned with is profits and greed. And the people who are shareholders and stakeholders, that's their only interest in it too, for a financial investment. So please don't expect for anyone to put your needs, your value before their profits. Educate yourself and vote. Good night, everyone. Good night. Until next time. Until next time.